The stunning upset in Alabama and what it might mean for Kansas and Missouri politics. Plus, a deep dive into the scandal apparently surrounding Mike Sanders, the former Jackson County executive. I'm Dave Helling of the Star's editorial board. You are on Deep Background. Joining me now is Brian Lowry, the uh, chief political reporter for the Star. Uh, Brian, we want to talk about the earthquake from Alabama yeah. uh, involving uh, Roy Moore and Doug Jones, the Democrat who won a somewhat surprising victory on Tuesday in Alabama as a Democrat. So I think everyone in America, every political pundit reporter is asking himself or herself, what does that mean for our races? So well, let's start in Missouri. What Obviously, people are going to point to McCaskill, Claire McCaskill and the presumed nominee, Josh Hawley. What, what lessons might we learn about that race from what happened in Alabama? I, I've already received multiple emails about this today. The Missouri Democratic Party is jumping on this. Some of the national Democratic groups that, because obviously um, the Missouri 2018 Senate race is very high profile. It's probably going to be maybe the crucial race in determining control of the U.S. Senate. Even more important now, right? Right, right. Because right. the Dems have, in essence, picked off so an important seat. I think what I'm, I mean, I hesitate to kind of read, uh, you know, that Alabama, it's such a different scenario than what Alabama was, right? Uh, open special election versus a Democratic incumbent who's playing defense. Um, I would caution about reading the Alabama election um, uh, as a, you know, sign that Claire McCaskill has an easier path to victory. Josh Hawley is not going to presumably, uh, well, I guess we'll find out, uh, but presumably not have nearly as many skeletons in his closet um, as Roy Moore did. What I think is more significant is what you're getting at is that now that Democrats have a real shot at um, winning a Senate majority, um, it's still a tough, it's still tough, but it's much more conceivable now. Um, I think you're going to see the spending, which we were already expecting to be huge in that race, um, is, is only going to increase. So I think both sides are kind of going to look at this as, um, okay, what do we need to do in Missouri um, to get to victory? Um, there's certainly been, a, uh, the Democrats have been trying to join Josh Hawley to Roy Moore or Donald, or the fact that Donald Trump endorsed Roy Moore literally days after uh, endorsing Josh Hawley. I think if you're Josh Hawley, though, you can kind of be like, okay, good, Roy Moore lost. I don't need to explain Roy Moore right. for another year. It means the, kind of the Roy Moore questions are kind of dead uh, for him. And, and let's be clear, I agree with you completely. Uh, Josh Hawley is a much more skilled candidate than Roy Moore. Roy Moore was much closer to Todd Aiken, who, right. who got beat so badly by uh, McCaskill six years ago. But but doesn't Alabama give McCaskill, Claire McCaskill's campaign, a bit of a template for how to prevail it, in a state like It does, like Missouri? and I think also one thing is, let's keep in mind, Josh Hawley is not the only uh, Republican candidate in the race. Um, you know, all of us are, have all of the political reporters in the state of Missouri, myself included, have been guilty of treating his nomination as a foregone conclusion. Uh, there's still a possibility that one of these other candidates uh, with maybe more extreme views or just certainly much more, um, 
you know, Bannon-esque views right. uh, could pull out a uh, victory. Right, and, and that's the central dilemma of the Republican Party nationally is that the candidates that prevail in primaries right. are not necessarily the candidates who can do well in general right. elections. And while Josh, and that's what Alabama and while Josh Hawley has had some, you know, he's reached out to Bannon and, you know, after that, Breitbart has written some favorable things. It looks like they seem to be, you know, uh, Josh Hawley is the rare guy that can make both Mitch McConnell and Steve Bannon smile. But who was down there with Steve Bannon the final uh, the the final night uh, before the uh, Alabama election was Cortland Sykes, this right, rather right. obscure candidate. You know, if a candidate like in that, Missouri, yeah, in Missouri, yeah, yeah in Missouri, recently recent transplant yeah, to yeah. Missouri, uh, <laughs> spent most of his life in Arkansas, with some time in Massachusetts. Um, uh, if a candidate like that, you know, did somehow find a path to victory in the Republican primary, then, much, much then McCaskill can just kind of copy but, but, the playbook exactly. Well, but with Josh Hawley, it's not going to be – you can't do the exact same playbook that right, right. Uh, was used against. Right, but but I guess my argument would be that the template in Alabama uh, that uh, Doug Jones used, which was increase African-American turnout if you can, particularly mm-hmm. in urban areas – and then uh, work to a draw or slight advantage in suburban counties, particularly among women. That's kind of McCaskill's path, too, in Missouri, isn't Argu- it? Arguably that, is, but that's yeah. not really been the that's path not she's been taking, though. I mean, it is It is obviously, yes. it's a, but if you look at who she's been focused on. Yeah, it's the rural voter. She's been focused on the rural voter. So this may actually create some more pressure on her, certainly from um, the urban-based activist groups, from... Um, you know, from black and Latino groups to, hey, spend a little bit more time in Kansas City and St. Louis getting your, I mean, really what the Doug Jones victory should show to Democrats is if you can motivate, if you can motivate um, uh, the voters who aren't from the "Quote unquote MAGA counties, the the Make America Great Again counties. Right. You know that's how you have a shot at winning these. States. But but yeah. that's tricky, of course, right. because to the extent you pay attention to urban areas as a Democrat, you may risk losing some of those right. rural voters. That's the needle that you have to thread right. in Missouri. And Alabama showed you how you do it, which is in my view, which is increase turnout dramatically and then win the suburbs. That's where I think uh, that that's where Josh Hawley might be in some trouble if she can effectively argue to the mom in Lee Summit or whatever right. it is. But, uh, That's but, not a new concept or right. a new observation, but, so, but, so but f- Alabama seems to reinforce but that. But so far, they mainly have been targeting right. the kind of, like, let's reach out to the folks who were in those those Trump counties. Right. And so I think what I think what you're getting at is that, you know, she's, well, that obviously makes sense, you know, be competitive in those counties. You need to start to kind of do some engagement with the counties that like you. <laughs> right. Well, I think we learned in 2014, didn't we, or 2016, I'm sorry, uh, in Missouri, that if you ignore urban voters, it will cost you. And I think Chris Coster showed us that, that, you know, he, he might have been more competitive against uh, Eric Greitens for governor had there been more of a focus on uh, African American voters in central cities, and he virtually ignored them. It was all about, you know, I'm a gun rights guy, and I was endorsed by the NRA, that type of thing. I mean, it. I guess what I'm saying is that what I think I saw in Alabama suggests the path does not have to be the one that McCaskill is right. following. That there is another way. To I do also it. think Doug Jones is going to become. He's going to be one of these Democratic 
celebrities for yes. the year. I wouldn't be surprised comes into if Missouri. he comes into Missouri to Big do time. some campaign events with Big McCaskill. Right, right. Now let's go over to the Kansas side. Right. Because I think it also has some implications for Kevin Yoder in the third. Right. And some big implications for the Kansas gubernatorial primary. Because if there's any figure that is Roy Jones, uh, Roy Moore-esque in Kansas, it's probably Chris Kobach. You're talking about, of course, the politics, not necessarily yes, yes. the personal. Person, of course. Right, you of know, course. As far as I know, Chris Kobach is still allowed of in course, every and mall let me just say in the my, state of Kansas. Right, and just so, so it, um, my view is clear. The, the Roy Moore, uh, and there will be postmortems like crazy, but the idea that Roy Moore lost just because of the Washington Post story, I think, misses the point in Alabama. He had a long, controversial record in that state of saying very controversial things. He was a poor campaigner, didn't have a lot of money, and, and uh, you know, stayed out in the last week and did some other tactical mistakes. But he had lost other statewide races. He was an extraordinarily polarizing right. and, and that's one. Re- I mean, one long before the allegations and about Co- Chris Kobach is certainly came. very polarizing. Yes, but he's won two statewide races by a pretty significant margin. So I, I hesitate to kind of you know right. make him and Roy Moore out to equivalent figures. I will say you're certainly right in terms of policy alignment. There's certainly some similarity there. Uh, well, I don't know that I've a- ever gotten to use this phrase before, but I would say Chris Kobach would be more moderate. Than yes. Roy Moore, I've not yes, heard him yes. say that homosexuality should be illegal but, or anything but like that. But find certainly has quotes, yeah, and you'll be yeah. able to do the th- you know find things that Chris Kobach has said that right. are, are more polarizing than any other Republican certainly. in the field, right, right. or at least yeah. major Republican. In and the field. I mean, you, does it give? So does Alabama give Republicans in Kansas? A reason to pause right. about Kobach. And, is and keep in runner. mind, what website does Chris Kobach write for? Yeah, he writes for Breitbart, you know, which, which was Steve a, Bannon asked, which was a, Roy Moore. And well, it's the site that Steve Bannon runs, and it's a site that very was very much behind and, Roy Moore's candidacy. And let's be clear. Chris Kobach was on the Trump train early, uh, you know, applied to work at the White House. There are lots of pictures with Trump. and He and, was shoveling coal into the engine. Yes, he, yes, he was yes. on the train. So, so <laughs> right, and early, and, and almost uniquely so. Right. So the idea that somehow Chris Kobach can separate himself from the Bannon, yeah, I don't think you're going to see him try to do that. Axis I, I, uh, is, is problematic. He just can't do it. Right. I mean, I think certainly... Um, you know, really, to me, the interesting thing about that isn't so much a question of whether or not Republicans should go with Chris Kobach, although you make a valid point that maybe this is why you say maybe we go with a more mainstream candidate. I think this also puts more pressure on Democrats and Greg Orman to figure out their situation. Because yeah. let's say that there was a Greg Orman figure. Let's say that there was an independent, a third candidate option in Alabama. Doug Jones might have lost that race. He won a very tight head-to-head race. So for Democrats, if you're looking at those Alabama results and you're in Kansas and you're you're trying to take away what they mean for the gubernatorial race, one thing it should tell you is that you need it to be a head-to-head race with yes, Chris although, Kobach. Yes, although... Uh, and again, I'm in the minority on this, but I think an Orman candidacy might take as many votes from Kobach as it might take from the Democrat, precisely because Kobach is such a polarizing figure. There will be moderate Republicans, and this happened in Alabama, who could not pull the trigger for for uh, Doug Jones, but uh, couldn't pull it for Roy Moore either, and they went to the write-in option 
To me, that becomes the default for Orman. And we saw the write-ins get about 1.7% of the vote in Alabama. It's possible that's what Greg right, Orman but would But If you ask with. any Democratic strategist what they would prefer, yes, whether yeah, to be I part of a three-way true. race or head-to-head with Chris right. Kobach, I mean, they're going to I think that's probably clear. right, but uh, I just think it's more complicated than we know. But in my view... What happens then from after Alabama is that Republicans, particularly in suburban areas like Johnson County, may take another look at the Kobach candidacy and say, look, the path for a Democrat in a red state like Kansas was made crystal clear in Alabama, which mm-hmm. is marginalize your Republican opponent using his own words and quotes against him, and then increase turnout and, and enthusiasm in African-American and suburban uh, areas, and that's the path in Kansas, and there may be some sense that Republicans want to say, let's take another look at our front runner. And you, and you get right, you're right that if you're Kevin Yoder, uh, you, you, you've got to, every time you see a Democrat win in one of these high-profile races, it has to be a little bit scary if uh, you're Kevin Yoder. It shows that the Democratic base is motivated. Um, they are going into 2018 much more motivated. Look Obviously, at Kansas yeah. four in the special it had. Yeah, when it went from a plus 27 R to a plus seven or whatever the number was. I mean, the erosion of Republican support in in the Kansas fourth district was clear. And what right. happened in Alabama? And what I think, happened I think it was oh, Pompeo had won by more than yeah. 30, yeah. and then it ended up being about an eight point race. Right, so that right, was a right. huge swing. Yeah, and so. Um, Certainly, if you're Kevin Yoder, you it's, I don't think it's just Alabama, but you look at some of these races collectively yes. where Democrats have either outperformed in special elections, still lost, like in 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 Kansas four, or they've won these races like the Virginia governor's race or right. the uh, Alabama uh, senatorial race. It's got to make you a little bit nervous. I think you also get at the fact that there's a lot of kind of um, guilty by association. Yoder's already having a very tough time. Oh, balancing that kind right. of Trump thing, where he's voted for a lot of Trump's policies, he's come out against some things that Trump has said or done. He's been more he's been more critical of Trump's rhetoric, but still very much aligned with right. him on it's policy a very difficult, issues. Yeah, it's a difficult needle for him. To and if Chris well. Kobach is at the top of the ticket in the gubernatorial race, that makes Kevin Yoder's job that much more difficult. Right. Um, well, plus the other thing is, as in two thousand nine. Uh, when the Ted Kennedy seat was lost in Massachusetts uh, it went to a Republican. It, the, the race in Alabama may be the first warning of a wave for Democrats as well. I mean, there was a, there was a two-year wave against Obama uh, in, in 2010, and, and that's got to make Kevin Yoder ner- nervous as well, that this is some indication of a, of a Democratic bounce-back wave. Yeah, certainly. Which is the I mean, thing that could, if that happens, he's in trouble. And and certainly, you know, Kevin Yoder is going to be targeted, I think, also. You know, you might read a little bit of this into um, Kansas, too, which is going to be an open race. You know, similar to Alabama, similar to Alabama it, it's going to be an open race. Now, well, some people will say, well, in Kansas, too, you still Republicans right. have a registration. Look at the registration advantage in Alabama, it's a lot bigger than what it, probably whatever right. it is in Kansas too, and if the Republicans don't elect a strong nominee, which right now yeah. they don't really have a strong candidate out there, uh, and you get someone and you get itself. someone like Paul Davis, who's well known, who you know uh, 
I, 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 you know, I, I'm not going to say he's the Doug Jones of Kansas, but similarly, there's a similar aspect where this guy has been in public service and he's been in, people yeah. know who he is right. and I, 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 he can kind of, he can kind of campaign on some, you know, so I think maybe what I kind of would see that of the two race of the two congre- congressional races in the Kansas city area on the Kansas side, I'd actually maybe see the ramifications bigger for Kansas too, which is going to be an open yeah. um, one election. other One other caveat too, which we should talk about uh, in my view anyway, is extrapolating Alabama into congressional races is a different thing than statewide races. Mm-hmm. Because I, I do think we're seeing increasing, uh, increasing evidence, uh, Brian, that voters in general elections look very skeptically at, at what they might consider to be loose cannon candidates like Todd Aiken, like Richard Murdoch, like Roy Moore. In congressional races, uh, because the voters tend to be a bit more homogenous, that's a harder – sometimes that's, that's why you get a Steve King. That's why you get a Raul Labrador. It's easier – in, in, in Maybe a Tim Hillscamp uh, from Tim Western. Tim Hillscamp, although <laughs> Hillscamp, of course, lost in a primary, right. which I think, again, proves you know my point that that outlier candidates uh, face higher challenges than I think we know, and I think there's evidence of that. And Alabama, that's the lesson I take from it, because again, I don't think Roy Moore lost because of the post story about his indiscretions. It, it certainly helped. Uh, or it certainly played a role, perhaps a big role, but it was not the only reason why Alabama Republicans rejected their. The nominees. margin was so close, you know. I think, I think that, I think you can't. I, I think that post story was very important, and it wasn't just the post story. It was then the wave of stories yeah. that that came. I mean, I think there, it's, and I think you also, if you look at the numbers, you still had. Roy Moore still won a very, you know, very strong uh, majority of Republican voters. But I think what it did was it helped drive up Democratic turnout and it made him, you know, abhorrent right, to independent my, voters. My own analysis suggests that while uh, Moore won Republican counties, he didn't win by the margins that you would typically expect a Republican to win by. And certainly Moore underperformed Donald Trump in those red counties and Jeff Sessions and other Senate candidates. That may be partly because of the Post story. But again, when Republicans are abandoning him in that in uh, at that level, that suggests a long familiarity with the guy who has said some things for years and years and years. Right. And also, one thing we should not, you know, not disregard is that this was actually a rare case uh, in a red state where the Democrat actually had the fundraising right. advantage. And a great candidate, right. great right. story. But, and, but Roy Moore was so politically toxic yep. that you had you had Republican David Humphreys of Missouri, one of the Republican mega donors. Give, give, give he cut Doug, Doug Jones. Jones a check. Right. I mean, so Doug Jones and, and and Richard Shelby came out the Sunday before and said, "No, right. I, I can't vote for for Roy Moore." I mean that. So that played a role. So the, the post story played the, a role. The infrastructure yeah. was, yeah. you know, I mean, he, the yeah, the, this was a case where the Democrat had deep pockets. Where you're right, where the in the. The other senator from the state was a not Republican. Was it, yeah. You know, so I think the Sunday before election, I, you know, yeah. I think you're you're less you're not going to see that in Missouri where McCaskill will have as big a fundraising. Right now, she still has a fundraising advantage, but right. you're not going to see, I think, a fundraising advantage 
uh, to that extent. Right. In Missouri, you're certainly not going to see that in the 3rd District. But she has an but, advantages that Doug Jones didn't have. She's the incumbent. Right, she's right, well-known right. in the state. She's a woman. I mean, you know, there's all I, kinds of I, things. I just want to point so out apples that, to apples I, I just tough. want to point out that the money, the kind of money disparity. Right. Uh, that you had in was Alabama, there a lot of which is very rare. Outside money in Alabama, I'm not sure there was to the extent we're going to see it in Missouri. Sir, I certainly I mean, not. We're see and I, I mean, I think, and I think that's the point: is just how many national Republicans who are going to play in yeah. Missouri and are going didn't to play to in Kansas City didn't want to touch Roy Moore. Yeah. yeah, yeah, great. All right, Brian Lowry, the Stars' chief political reporter. Thanks so much for joining thanks us. Thanks for having me. All right, coming up next is a conversation about the. Alleged scandal surrounding Mike Sanders, the former Jackson County executive. Stay with us here on Deep Background. Joining me now, Mike Hendricks of the Kansas City Star and Steve Vockrod of the Star to talk about one of the bombshell stories of politics in this area over the last several months. Uh, with bo- uh, which both of you reported it, it involves Mike Sanders, the Democrat and former uh, chairman of the uh, party and county executive in Jackson County. Mike, why don't you tell us in a nutshell what, what Mike Sanders allegedly did back in 2012 well, we, uh, came and, and other years back in there? Well, essentially what we, uh, we uh, uh, heard from a, a source, uh, who was a, uh, a name source, who was being paid money from uh, a... Uh, campaign committee controlled by Mike Sanders that he was uh, essentially laundering money for for Sanders and uh, Sanders was taking a kickback according to him Um, he would take checks up to Sanders usually in the four figures several thousand dollars and his friend from high school and grade school uh, named Steve Hill would take a couple hundred dollars for himself the rest would go to Mike right but just so people get this sort of in the mind's eye, what happened was Mike had a committee called, or controlled a committee called Integrity uh, in Law Enforcement, correct? Correct. And it was a campaign committee, just like lots of campaign committees. People would donate to it, and people did donate to it. And then he would, Mike Sanders would, in essence, take these checks out of that fund to Steve Hill and say, look, Steve, you cash them and claim you have done work for the committee. Well, checks would be made to they made out to Steve, Steve Hill. Hill for work that he allegedly Correct. did. The fact is, he didn't do that work. He merely cashed them and then gave most of the money, if not all, back to Mike Sanders. He was it was on the forms. Uh, it was um, uh, said that he was doing campaign work, get out the vote work, uh, and consulting. Uh, and some consulting. Other things, yeah. um, in fact, Steve uh, is a, a quadriplegic and has been since he was 21 years old, 30 years ago, and is, was incapable of doing much of anything for the campaign and said so yeah so if we heard from mike sanders he hasn't really denied any steve any of the facts in this story and we haven't heard anyone who who has argued that somehow this was not taking place yeah we've not heard from uh mike sanders uh he's been he's been quiet um and we have not uh we have not received any pushback or anything you know anybody challenging uh any of uh, any of what's been reported i mean there's some people who will say you know we can't believe you know it's hard to believe that he got involved he would get himself involved in something like this Um, but no one has said hey that he wasn't really taking this money or steve hill wasn't telling you the truth no we've got no indication of that Uh, either either when we were reporting this or in the aftermath and we and we really do not have any clear uh, idea on, on how the money was spent 
uh, sources. Um, uh, one source uh, told us he thought the bulk of it was going for uh, campaign work, a dirty tricks sort of thing, but that some of it might have been going for other purposes. Right, uh, Mike's other purposes. Either way, though, Steve, it's not, it, you know, it, it, at, at minimum, the campaign finance disclosures appear to be off. Because they're claiming that Steve Hill was doing this GOTV work or, or the, this consulting work when he clearly wasn't, right? Well, uh, yeah, Steve Hills uh, essentially said that he wasn't really he wasn't really doing any work, and um, you know, given his physical condition, it would have been difficult for him to do yeah. this type of work. Yeah. Um, his brother had been getting paid to do similar types of uh, campaign work. Purportedly, he committed suicide. In uh, Thanksgiving Day on in 2009, and then after that, the payments started going to uh, to Steve Hill, and they w- continued from about 2010 to 2013, uh, and then they stopped. And uh, what Steve Hill had told us was that um, he had gotten a call from a relative who had been uh, paid to visit by authorities asking about Steve Hill, and so Steve calls. Steve tells us that he called Mike Sanders and told him, "Hey." Uh, there's some people nosing around about this, and that's when that's he says that's the last time he talked to Sanders, and the payments uh, stopped after that yeah. point. In time. Is that, do we have any sense at all, uh, Mike Hendricks, if this is uh, an isolated incident? I mean, I, I think we, you and I, and others have heard for many, many years that Mike Sanders' work at the county was under some scrutiny, some by authorities of some sort, but not really. Uh, there didn't seem to be really tangible evidence of that until your story. Is this? It's the only thing we've reported on, right? So we don't we don't have a sense as to whether this reveals a pattern for his behavior or not. Well, we did, in fact, uh, report something in 2015. I think Steve Kraske uh, wrote up the story, and maybe you were involved. I, I can't recall. <laughs> uh, but the, uh, regarding a, a Brittany a, Burke a, and a, some a contract, contract right. with a consultant uh, on uh, health uh, matters. Uh, that was under some scrutiny, and some some uh, county legislator said that the uh, FBI uh, was inquiring about that at the time. What we didn't know then, or actually what, back then, we thought that was the, the beginning of the FBI's interest. In fact, as Steve just mentioned, um, we, we confirmed last week the FBI's been looking at Sanders since at least 2013. Yeah, and, and for what? I mean, that's a, the, the, one presumes a rather broad broad uh, uh, list of potential things that he might be involved in, Steve. I mean, right? I mean, what, what, what would take four years for the FBI to look at? Well, we don't know exactly. Um, you know, the, 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 the thing, and this is, this is just a general comment, but the thing that, you know, is, is often said about the feds is once they get in the door, you know, there's no telling what they'll kick up. And, you know, as, as Mike mentioned, we know that they were in the door uh, with the Brittany Burke stuff. And so, uh, at least maybe and, and probably even earlier than that. Um, so we don't know exactly what all the feds are looking at beyond what's been reported um, or what's taking so long, although I don't necessarily read too much into the length of time. I mean, the feds can move at their own pace uh, in a lot of these yeah. in a lot of these instances. Yeah, for, for people listening to the podcast, we're all being a little hesitant here because you don't want to report anything or say anything that we don't know to be a fact. Right. And so we don't want to really get into much speculation about about what other things Mike Sanders may or may not be involved in. We, we, we just know the FBI has been looking at him for some time, federal authorities, 
this story has popped up. The other story involving the contracts was also under some scrutiny at some point uh, involving uh, uh, the FBI and the grand jury, a federal grand jury, which we're told may be involved as well. Right. But, but Mike, give us some sense as to whether any of this uh, changes politics in Jackson County. I mean, do, you know, Mike's gone. Does it does do, do people at the county just sort of go, well, that was Mike or not Mike, or does it have any effect other than whatever problems he might face, in your view? Well, I think there are people at the courthouse who are probably concerned uh, that they because they were associated with Mike uh, one way or the other. As far as um, county operations, no, I don't see a big change. Right. The reason I ask is because you had Bill Warris, who pled guilty to lying to the FBI back in the day. Right. Catherine Shields, another county, Bill Warris was county executive. Catherine Shields, a county executive, was charged with, although ultimately found innocent, of mortgage fraud while a county executive. Right. And then now this this incident, which again has not led to any charges that we're aware, aware of, uh, at least at this point, it just seems, uh, I wrote this in an editorial the other day, that this idea of lawlessness around the county seems pervasive. Is that, again, do you sense that at all, or is this just one isolated event after another? Well, I don't Feel know. Feel free to take any shots you want. <laughs> I'm not sure about lawlessness. I think that might be a, a stretch. Yeah, uh, well, um, editorial do, board can do that. Well, what I, <laughs> what I do think is that, uh, and what it was, was shocking to a lot of folks, and speaking of the editorial board, uh, the star and many others had had previously believed and uh, expounded on the, on the fact that that Sanders had overseen uh, county government for nine years scandal free when he resigned in the late uh, 2015. Uh, he announced his, his uh, resignation right. in lo- late 2015. And the resignation itself kicked up some dust as to why he would have done that too. We didn't know why it was yeah. the it was the the uh, perennial or the uh, old chestnut that is leaving to. Uh, to spend more time with his family, right, and then immediately right. uh, hooked up with uh, a, a law firm and spent a lot more time, yeah. uh, probably away than he did before. Yeah, Steve Vakrod, as we sort of wrap this up, what's next? I mean, are, are we are we just waiting for some more uh, uh, action, or where where are we at in the timeline at, at all? Well, um, you know, like like we have since some of the initial reports about the FBI's in, uh, uh, inquiry into um, Sanders's office, we just wait and see. I mean, they're they're the ones that hold the the, the cards and so um you know we just but we don't think it stops at mike sanders maybe i mean there may be other people involved well let's just say we're not going to wait and see we're continuing our reporting yeah, yeah. and uh just keep an, an eye on your uh, news <laughs> local paper, newspaper news, a news site and maybe there'll be another story you bet you bet mike Hendricks and steve alcrod both with the kansas city stars thanks so much for joining us you've been on deep background